You're listening to the weekly podcast of Hope Community Church, where we desire to see people transformed by the love of Christ. Join us as we study God's Word together. Bible this morning, you want to follow along where in Ephesians chapter 5, you also see the, the words on the screen, but if it helps you to have a Bible or your iPad, that's where we'll be. My older brother was here with me this week. And he got here Sunday afternoon. He's a bivocational pastor, so he preaches on weekends as well. So when he got here, one of the first things he asked me is, what did you preach about this morning? I said, talk about anger. He's not a man of many words, so he said, for it or against it? (laughs) So later in the week, he said, what are you preaching about next week? I said, I'm preaching about the love of God. For it or against it? <laughs> this one, I'm for it. PBS did an eight-part series. It's called The Great American Road. And it's a, a series that explores the, the 100 most loved novels among us that people read. What... One of the things they were looking for is you look at this, these novels, what are some of the themes that emerge? What, what is it that, that draws people? And the most prominent theme is the quest for love, and especially a love that is enduring. Here, here are some of the quotes of the literary experts commenting on the series. One of them says, well, according to these novels, love is the driving force behind everything that we do. So why do people read these books? Well, I think reading about all these different types of loves and the ways in which they present it, it's one of the great human questions that we have. Another expert made this comment. Every book on this list is either about love or death. And finding a love that transcends death, I mean, who wouldn't read a story like that? Another observed this. All of us want to see things that last. We want to know that you can't just throw love away. And as human beings, as readers, we want something to be so important that you'd stick with it forever. Good observation. In fact, the scriptures say that every one of us has this deep longing to be loved. It was put in there by the designer. When child, a child in their formative years doesn't receive that, often they spend the rest of their life doing dysfunctional things trying to find what they needed. It's not like an optional thing for us. It's a deep heart need. Eskimos, it is estimated, have 45, maybe even 47 different words in their language that describe what we in English call snow. For us who live in more temperate climates, if it's white and it's cold, and it's falling from the sky, snow. That's what it is. Eskimos, not so much. But for them, it's not just having a 
a big vocabulary. Often it's like between life and death. It's really important. How so? Well, imagine it this way. You're a Peace Corps volunteer and you get sent to go live among the Eskimos. That's what Peace Corps volunteers do. And one of the things they do is learn the language. So you're there and you're going to learn the language. You got a language helper. You go visit an Eskimo family. You sit down. You have a great conversation through your interpreter. And, and then before you go, the father says something to you, which of course you don't understand. And what he said to you is, while you're leaving today, it's, it's going to be like this fluffy white light snow. Just beware. So you turn to your interpreter and say, what did he just say? And he says, he said, it's going to snow. No problem. Got my hat, coat, good. Off you go. So the next week you go to visit the same family and you're sitting having a conversation. You get to the end of the conversation and the old man says something again, which of course you didn't understand. What he said was that as you're leaving today, there's going to be a horizontal crystal ice storm that will totally blind you. So you turn to your interpreter and you say, what did he just say? He said it's going to snow. It's not the same thing. You walk out the door and very quickly you understand that there are more than one way to snow. Love is a little bit like that. We talk a lot about love. We write books about it. We TV shows about it. The Bible is actually a love story. It is the story of a, of a heavenly father in pursuit of his children. But when the Bible talks about love, it, it is little to do with the subjective, sentimental, fickle love that we talk about. And in fact, the love that the Bible talks about is, is, is objective. It's, it's a tangible, it's something that is objective. It's this deep-rooted, unshakable force. In fact, the Bible says about God that God is love. It doesn't say that God does kind things, that he does That is who he is. So, one day Jesus is walking with his friends and a young man comes to him and he, he says to him, good teacher, can I ask you something? And he asked Jesus, what, what would you say is the most important thing? Like if we're going to connect with God, if we're going to do the religion thing, what's the most important thing to do? What's the law that's top of the chart? And Jesus said, well, actually, I can give it to you in two. Let me resume it for you. This is what it is. Love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And then he says, and then love your neighbor like you love yourself. And if you do those two things, you got it. All the rest of the stuff will get done. Love is actually the currency of a relational life. In a relational life, we spend love and we receive love. That was God's idea from the beginning. He's the one who designed it. It's what he taught us and it's what he showed us. God invites us to spend love freely and generously. This is the observation of Richard Swenson. Some people 
guard the portions of love that God grants and they dole it out in small portions. That is a really good strategy with money, not so much with love. With money, the more you hoard, the richer you get. With love, the more you spend, the richer you get. Then why don't we spend it? We don't spend it because it always costs something. Paul, in these words at the beginning of chapter 5, exhorts the believers in Ephesus, exhorts us to be imitators of God. He says, watch God, look at him, and then go do what he does. And, and what he says is, walk in the way of love. So last week we ended chapter 4 and it ended with these words. He says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Even though there's now a chapter 5 there, somebody put that in after. The thing actually is connected. This is what he continues. He says this, Just as Christ and God forgave you. Then he says, Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity or greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking. All of those things are out of place. Rather, thanksgiving. So, this is really not very complicated. I can't make this say something else. It's just really simple. He says, look at God, and what you see him doing, imitate that. What is he doing? Well, the way that it's stated in the message, he spends most of his time loving us. And he says, join the dance. Well, let me look at the, the, especially the first four verses. The first thing you'll see in the first two verses is that love is hardwired into the story. You can't talk about this story without it. It says here, follow God's example. Do what he does. Imitate him. What's he doing? He's loving. That's what he does. And when you read the first two verses, there's this beautiful picture in there in these words. One of the central ideas in the Christian faith, the word that we use to talk about it is the Trinity. If you look at Christian faith across the spectrum, there's nobody who doesn't believe this in one form or another. Catholics, Protestants, all forms of orthodoxy, all hold to this, this idea of the Trinity. What is it? Why, why, why isn't it even important in this discussion? Well, the Trinity is simply saying that God is one. There's not... Two gods, 
nor has there ever been, nor will there ever be. In fact, in Old Testament, in Jewish worship, in fact, it's still true today, one of the things that is always spoken out loud and declared is the Shema Israel, which says, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. There's not two gods. There's only one. But this God who reveals himself reveals himself in three very distinct persons. There's God the Father, there's God the Son, and there's God the Holy Spirit. That's confusing. So is it one or is it three? Yes. It is totally one and totally three. Through church history, a lot of the divisions that have happened have happened around that idea. Because it's, I wish I could tell you, here, if I just tell you this, it'll just be so clear to you, you'll get it. I can't. Nor has anybody in church history been able to explain this mystery. Only to say that it's true. So, this is how God reveals himself, and that's really important in the salvation story. Because all three of the persons of God are active in the story. God the Father sends his son into this story. God the Son lives here as a human being, is crucified, and his Father raises him from the dead. That is now lived out by God's Spirit, in us and through us. All three of those things, those, those persons, are part of this story. Why is that important? God has always existed. There has never been a time that God was not. When God created us, It says in Genesis that he looked at the picture and he said, let us make men in our image. Who's he talking to? He's talking God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit are having a conversation. And they together create us in their image. In Wheaton, Illinois, a couple weeks ago, visiting our daughter Angel, and she invited me to go with her one evening to a theology class. Uh, it's like a three-hour thing, but I thought I can do this, so I went, and I was so glad that I did. Fascinating. The guy who's teaching is a gentleman by the name of Dr. Lee. Dr. Lee and his family live on the south side of Chicago in one of the roughest neighborhoods in Chicago. Why would somebody go get a PhD in England so that they could go live on the south side of Chicago? Because God loved us so much 
that he sent his son into the middle of our junk and our pain so that we could know the love of the heavenly father. So that night, he's talking about the Trinity. Talking about all the different things that are important about it. All the different church divisions and church councils and what it means and yada, yada, yada. So one of the students raises his hand and says, okay, I, I frankly don't understand what you're saying. I get it. I mean, I get what you said. I don't understand it. But can you just tell me from your perspective, why is it important? He said, well, one of the reasons it's important is this. From the very beginning, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit have lived in this loving, amazing, beautiful relationship. It's delightful. When we as humans walked away and and God put in place a plan, it doesn't tell us in the Bible what happened in heaven. Did they sit down and go, "Mm, need to fix this thing. Who's going? Let's draw straws. Stink. You you lose. It's you. No, no, no. That's not what happened. In total unity... In submission to one another, they carried out this loving plan. That's God. So Dr. Lee said, if that is true, that means at the center of this story, at the center of the universe, is the love of God. Isn't that amazing? That this whole thing is about the love of God. It's written in, you can't, it's the DNA of the story. So in these words, Paul, I don't think by accident, talks about the fact, he says, imitate God. What are we imitating? We're imitating the way he loves in his person. Imitate that. Let me read it for you. Verses 1 and 2, I'm reading from the message. He says this, watch what God does. And then do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Can I read that again? Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him. Learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious. It was extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us. But to give everything of himself to us. Love like that Jesus love was expressed in giving sacrificial giving later in chapter 5 Paul is going to apply this very same idea to marriage in marriage he doesn't say love your wife on these occasions he says love your wife like Jesus loved the church. How did Jesus? Sacrificial. That's what it looks like. It's at, the corn, it's at the center of the story. Here's the second idea. Second idea in the text is that l'amour est un parfum. I tried to find a way to say this in English. It doesn't work. So I'm just going with the French today. 
The best way I can translate it is this. That when somebody loves in this way, sacrificially, like God, that it actually is like a fragrance, a perfume. It, it literally, when somebody walks in the room with a strong perfume, man, it fills the whole room. You're hoping it's a good one. Well, he says, when, when we love like this, it gives off a fragrance. Not only here, but in the heavenlies. This is how he says it. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, and he gave himself as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Why does he put the word fragrant in there? Why didn't he just say he gave himself as an offering to God? Well, I think the, the implication here for most of the Jews who had read this in the first century, they, they got what he was saying. In the Old Testament, the way that they worshipped was by giving sacrifices to God. And one of the ways that it talks about these sacrifices is it talks about them as a sweet savor, a sweet aroma, pleasing to God. So he's saying, love like God did. Jesus, when he gave himself in love for us, it was a beautiful fragrance. The cross was like a fragrance to God. Wow. That's amazing. But when you think of, of the cross, like there's no more awful human thing that we could make up. But on that day when Jesus died, humanly it was a whore. But in the heavenlies, even though it was awful, the fact that God's love was so powerfully manifest was like this amazing fragrance to God. So he says that Jesus did this not only for us, but he did it out of love for his Father. It's a beautiful picture. All lives have a fragrance. When people walk into a room, they bring a fragrance with them. Sometimes it's a really beautiful one. Sometimes not so much. He's saying that when the love of God manifests itself through us, it brings a fragrance. It also, churches have a fragrance. Some of them are not such great fragrances. It's easy to get a judgmental fragrance. Like people come in and what they feel and what they hear is judgment. Paul is saying, make the fragrance a beautiful perfume of the love and the grace of God. Third idea. It seems like Paul's talking about, okay, imitate God, follow the way of love, and then he like takes a left turn and he starts talking about something else. But actually the ideas are totally tied together. He says, live out this fragrance, this sacrifice. And then he says, but among you, there shouldn't be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed 
because these are improper for God's holy people. What he's saying is that love and selfish can't walk together. That the love of God is never self-serving. Those two things can't walk together. When selfish enters the room, love goes out the back door. So why does he talk then about sexual immorality? I think he does because that's one of the places we get the most easily deceived. It's a beautiful thing. It's an amazing thing. But God created it. The, The most intimate of human relationships is marriage. And as part of that, he gave this gift of sexual relationships. And if it fits in there, and it's in a committed, sacrificial relationship, it's just this beautiful thing. When it's not, even though at the moment it's it's great, it, it never produces this, ever. In fact, it's mostly self-serving. That's why he says, don't be deceived. This is not a simple word. This is not an easy word. Especially in our culture. We don't want anybody telling us that this is right and this is wrong. But that's what Paul does here. He says... It's a defilement of God's holiness, not because God has this, but because it's not loving. It's not sacrificial love. So he says, stay away from it. God's the one that designed it, and he's inviting us to trust him. So he says, when... When we take the road of pornography or adultery or sexual immorality, that it stains our soul. So that's not what imitating the Father looks like. Then he goes on to say this. Though some tongues, this is verse 4, though some tongues just love the taste of gossip, those who follow Jesus have a better use for language than that. Don't talk dirty or silly. That kind of talk doesn't fit our style. No, Thanksgiving is our dialect. I love that. Gratitude and love are are intimately tied together. When it's gratitude that flows out of your mouth and out of your life, somewhere you got love. And he's saying here, don't... Careful about what comes out of your mouth. Jesus said it this way. He said, if there's rotten stuff in your heart, sooner or later, it's going to come out of your mouth. That's just what happens. And the problem is not what comes out of your mouth. The problem is what's in your heart. So the goal is to allow his spirit to change your heart so that love becomes the language. And the language of love, he says, is gratitude. So he says here, stay away from coarse talk, foul language, cursing, gossip. Why? Because all of those things defile love. Think about it. God never 
not once, ever speaks like this. He doesn't ever curse somebody. He doesn't ever use words to diminish somebody. He doesn't ever talk coarsely or foul. So what he's not saying, he's not saying for us to be prudish. He's not saying don't ever talk about sex or use humor. He's just saying when you do talk about those things, do it with the spirit of thanksgiving and grace. Practice gratitude. You want to teach your heart to love? Practice gratitude. Can I just ask you this morning, if somebody is around you and listens to your words, what's the fragrance that they get? Is it gratitude? Is it... Paul's saying it's really important. If we're going to imitate our Heavenly Father, that that's what it would look like. Last thing, I'm I'm just going to come right back to the beginning. He says this, Be imitators of God. Love like that. Now, if you've been listening to what I've been saying this morning, you may be saying to yourself, Pastor, that's really a great idea. I, I just can't do it. Good. None of us can. That's the whole point. The, the whole point of this letter is that we who are, have come to him are now in Christ. And the secret of this life is learning to let him live his life through us. And, if, and, and, and as we allow him to do that, this is what it begins to produce. This is the way C.S. Lewis says it. Don't waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor or not. Just act like you do. As soon as we do this, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, sooner or later you'll begin to love him. This is not about an emotional, sentimental. This is about choosing to allow God's spirit to live his life through us. So, in closing this morning, I want to talk about this practically. How do we do that in our church family? I think it's really important. This is what he's called us to, to love each other. All through Paul's letters, you see these words. Love one another. Bear with one another. Walk with one another. Forgive one another. There are literally tens, twenties, thirties texts that are calling us to live with one another like this. So practically, what are some things that can help us to do that better? Well, it manifests itself in a lot of ways. Let me just talk about two in closing. One of the things that we have been talking about is creating a culture that looks like this. A culture is something that you can't necessarily touch or define, but you just know it's there. There's things that, that that's just how it is here. This is how people act here. We want that culture to look like this, like for that to happen, when you want the culture to change, the only way to do that is to exaggerate. If you want your kids to get something, you exaggerate. If you want them to say thank you, you do it 
7,000 times. Because it's really important that they learn that. So if we're going to learn this, some of it you just got to exaggerate. Just exaggerate. Just love each other. And do it till it's almost embarrassing. And, and then people will start going, why are they doing that? They must be really serious about this. So that's the first piece, is creating a culture that that's what's normal. The second part is you can create that culture, but if you don't have structures for it to happen, it, it's more difficult. The place that this usually most happens is when somebody's in a crisis. Somebody finds out that they have cancer. Somebody finds out that get a phone call that somebody that they love died. Or, or somebody's struggling in their marriage. Somebody's, it's at those times that most needed is the love of God lived out through other people. So we can have that culture, but if we don't have a structure to, to do that, it becomes more difficult. Like if that's happening to somebody, but you don't even know about it, it's pretty difficult to do anything. Or if you do know, what do I do? So one of the things that we are working on is to do those two things. We're having a conversation about this with the elders, and Elder Bob said, well, why don't we start a group of people that kind of spearhead that? That's what happened in the book of Acts. They were having problems because they had a lot of people, widows and others, who just needed a lot of help. And the apostles and the pastors, they were doing all this stuff and trying to lead and preach. And it just wasn't working. It just wasn't getting done. So they sat down and they said, well, let's appoint some folks who oversee that. Well, that was kind of the conversation we had, but they said, instead of making it this big formal thing right now, let's just invite anybody who wants to be a part of a group that's called Hope Cares to join it. And so we put it out there, and a whole group of people came together, and they've been meeting for about six months, having conversations about this. What are some of the things that we're trying to do? We're trying to put in place structures so that you can know, oh, Bob Griffith just had this happen and, and this is where he is. This is how you can reach out to him. So that we can put paths in place to do this the best that we can. So I'm going to invite BJ. BJ, most of you know BJ. BJ has just become uh, part of our elder team and is part of the Hope Cares team. And I just wanted to invite him to talk to us for a minute about, hey, how can, what is that, why is that important and how can we connect to it? Morning. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is BJ Bellamy. Uh, my wife, Christy, and I have been going here for, well, since the church started. Um, we really enjoy this community. We find it really refreshing and it's, it's awesome to come together every Sunday and do church here. Um, for those of you who do know me, you may have forgotten what we look like because we haven't been here for a few weeks. Um, our son has been really sick with a bad cold, so we've been keeping our germs to ourselves. 
But the cool thing about this is that um, last week when we missed church, we got a bunch of texts. At least three people texted us and just reached out and said, what's going on? Is there anything we can do to help? Um, they just expressed concern. And it was so nice to feel loved in that way, to feel we're part of a network. This network cares about us. And if we don't show up, someone will notice. Um, unfortunately, there are people in this church who aren't part of a network like that. And so they come to church, and they probably may enjoy coming here. But if they didn't come, maybe people wouldn't notice. Or if they have something going on in their life, they may not have people who know to ask the questions about how they can help. Even people who are part of a network at this church, um, we don't always ask the right questions to help those people practically. So I had a friend last year who hurt his back and was not able to go to work and was kind of um, laid up in his house. And it took Christy and I a week to even think about, well, maybe he needs someone to help mow his lawn or you know, go shopping for them or something like that. And it just struck us. We just don't think this way intentionally. And so as Pastor Joel mentioned, it helps to have structure. Um, about a week after that, we had the ministry fair here at Hope, and Pastor or Elder Bob got up and, and spoke about this and talked about the need to show love within the church because that's how we practice showing love to people outside the church. And it really hit us between the eyes, and we were really wanted to get involved with that. So we started going to this group called Hope Cares. What is Hope Cares? I'll start by telling you what it isn't. It's not a group of people who are getting together to meet all the needs of the church. That would be a little crazy. What we're trying to do is figure out logistics for connecting needs that we find to people who are gifted to to meet those needs. So if someone's hurt and they need someone to mow their lawn, you don't need to have the gift of evangelism or or the gift of tongues or something like that to go speak truth into that person's life. You just need to go mow their lawn. So how do we find out what these needs are and then how do we connect them to people who are willing to help? Um, We've had some good success with this. We've done meal trains to help people who are sick. people who can't you know, get out of the house and do other things, we bring them meals. We've done um, transportation to and from doctor's appointments for folks who um, maybe can't drive and need to get around. So we've, we've been able to put this into place with um, some very practical applications. The challenge is that sometimes we don't know what those needs are because we're not part, we haven't built a network with the person who has the need. And so one thing that we did to, to get a little bit more practical about it um, as we mentioned earlier, the, the connection card has changed a little bit. We made some adjustments to it, so it is a true connection card. If it, you're new and you want to give the information so that you can be included on emails and things like that, you can certainly do that. If you're an existing member or you're, you're coming here regularly and you have a need, you can also express that. So you can write that down on the back, and um, there are even options for confidentiality on there. We know that there are some issues that maybe you want prayer, but you don't really want everybody to know about it. Um, that's absolutely valid. So um, if you mark that, that will be very strictly followed. Um, but at the same time, it gives us kind of a first line of defense so that we can understand what are the needs of the church and how can we go about reaching them. Um, if you're interested in helping, we've added a section to the Hope Happenings email. If you're not getting that, fill out a connection card because then you'll start to get it. Um, but in that email, there's a, there's a little box, and it just expresses some of the needs that we've been seeing come through. And there will be like practical ways that you can help, links to meal trains or people to get in touch with, things like that. So that's a good first step. Um, I think really, you just need to come back to what the purpose of it is, though. This isn't meant to be another ministry team that just exists in, in perpetuity. The idea is that we're creating a culture where you won't need a group to handle logistics because you'll know everybody in your network and you'll constantly be growing your network. And as you come across people who have practical needs in their life, you'll offer to help out of just the the impulse 
that we're practicing by doing this. But that said, these structures are in place. Wanted to let you know about them in case that you want to take advantage. Um, I did forgot to do this in the first service, but I wanted to close with a passage. We've been talking about Ephesians, but this theme really just runs through the whole New Testament. And if you look at 1 John 3, 16 through 18, um, I think it really captures it well. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees the brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Thanks, BJ. Those are just some simple ways where we're trying to create structures that help us do this well. So, very practically, if, if what you need is people to pray for you, let us know. Uh, Carol McDonald puts out a thing every week to a group of people to pray. Call a church office. Just We want to be able to connect so that in a meaningful way we're doing what this says. The goal is not so that everybody's needs in this room get met. The goal is to live out the love of God. And in so doing it, it changes us. And it, it actually makes the people around us. In the New Testament, what made the church grow was this. This did not exist in the world then. People that actually loved each other. So people were, oh my goodness, what is going on there? And they came to see. May we be like that. Let me pray, and as I pray, invite the team to come. And we're going to close with a song that's just a prayer saying, God, take our hands, take us, use us. Father, I thank you that all of the things that we talked about this morning already exist. This is not something that we have to make up or create. It already exists in you. And the source is never-ending. It is limitless. So, teach us, Lord Jesus, to love. Teach us to, to look like you. Not for our glory or the glory of this church, but to point people to the love of their Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name. We pray that God will use this message to draw you deeper into a meaningful relationship with Him. Hope Community Church is located in Olmstead Falls, Ohio. If you would like to find out more about our church, please visit us at hopeolmstead.org.